Welcome to the Holy City Church podcast station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. have Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 17. Go ahead and uh, get uh, stand on your feet so you can read it with me. Once you do find it, go ahead and stand up. That way I know you have it. And he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for allowing your word to be preserved for us. Thousands of years after it has been written, Lord, thank you. Father, I pray as we go through this, as we read, as we listen, Father, that the words that I speak be yours and not mine, Lord, and we be able to receive it just as that, as your word. Father, we ask that you mold us and change us based on who you want us to be, based on what your word is telling us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. If there's, a, uh, if there's anyone here, maybe uh, even listening, that can say that they have uh, what some of us know as dual citizenship. I don't know if anyone can say that. Uh, I definitely have a dual citizenship. And what I mean by this legal dual citizenship is that you have a legal citizenship, right? That thing that you go and and at least in this country, you go take a test where you get really nervous and they ask you three questions, you miss one, and you're done. Uh, that kind of citizenship, uh, you can have one in your, uh, this country actually allows you to have one from one country and then have one from here. I myself have, I think maybe it's a Cuban or an Italian, I can't remember because I was so nervous. So I can't remember which one she left on the paper. And then also now I have an American citizenship. So I'm literally legally have a citizenship in two different countries. And especially if you're Cuban, when to go to Cuba, you have to keep your Cuban citizenship. So we have a lot of American citizenship, a lot of American, no, a lot of Cuban, that are American citizens. I don't know if we all can, you know, we all know that or we have that experience where we ourselves or you are legal citizen in two different countries. And maybe you've never heard of this before. This is the first time you're listening to this, and that's fine. Uh, but we all definitely are citizen of one country for the most part to be here, right? You could just be an American citizen, which is fine. But some of us are actually just citizen, like maybe in Venezuela. And we're here physically. We're not illegal. Or we're here as residents. But we're also literally, because we're physically here, we're citizens of the United States of America. Because you, in the definition as we are physically here, right? We're citizens. You're a citizen because you're here. 
physically, not only citizen because you hold a citizenship. And now, I don't know if you can relate to any one of them, but there's something about awesome about Christ is that in scriptures we can see that all of us have dual. John chapter 17, no sorry, Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 where it says, For our citizenship is in heaven and it's from and and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then if you look at John chapter 17, 16, it also says, they are not, this is Jesus talking while he's praying, and he's saying, they're not of the world, just as not, I am not of the world. So we ultimately know we have this ultimate citizenship, our ultimate home is not here, it's in heaven. That's where our citizenship relies. And those are just a few verses that the Bible shows us how we are not of this world. That we're just passing through this world. But at the same time, Jesus also says that we have a responsibility as physical citizens of this world. So we see that we have a citizenship in this world. And you can read John chapter 17 verse 15 where, where Jesus again in his prayer, he's saying, I do not ask that you take them out of the world for that you hear. But he's saying, hey, as they live here, because you're going to live here, you know, just keep them from evil. And then in John, and in the same John chapter 17, verse 18, he says, as you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So we see that we have a responsibility here in this world as physical citizens of this world. We may just be passing through and we may not belong to this world, but we have a responsibility to the kingdom of God and this world. So as long as we live in this world, not only are we citizens of heaven, we are citizens of whatever country God has placed you at the moment. So if you're here, you have a responsibility to this state, to this country. If you're currently listening to this and you're in another country or you're reading scripture and you're in another country, Asia, China, uh, Cuba, whatever it is, you have a responsibility to that state that you're living in. have a mission. As long as we're living here, we are called for a mission. And this is a mission that's in, in this world right now, but it affects our eternal home. See, we're not called to just live here and sit back and, and wait while Jesus just comes back, right? Jesus is nowhere in Scripture that says, hey, I am coming just like I left in the clouds. I'm coming back, so just chill there and just wait for me. Just just relax, don't worry, just watch some TV, you know, just drink, eat up, be merry, right? I'm taking that out of context, of course, that's not what it says, but he doesn't say that. There is a mission, there's a mission at hand, and God is going to use us as the means to which his purpose is going to be accomplished. So whatever the purpose God has for this world, do that himself. He doesn't need us. But he's calling us. He's giving us the privilege to take on this responsibility. Scripture is clear what our mission is. And as long as we are citizens of heaven and earth, our mission in this world is to make disciples of all nations. That's what 
clear, perfectly clear in those words that he's calling us to make disciples. He's calling us to make an impact in this world. He's calling us, his disciples, his believers, that we are to make an impact in this world. He says that we are ambassadors of the gospel. This is the gospel that brings a message of reconciliation. We are the ambassadors. We are the ones to bring that message in this world. And of course, there's many different ways, right? We spoke about how, you know, us ways that we can accomplish this. But everything sums up by what we're going to look at today, which is Jesus is calling us to be the salt and the light of this world. Everything we do, everything that we can, every good deed, every gospel tract, every preaching, every sermon, every class we do, we take, we give, every hug, everything we do, it all sums up with this. We ought to be the light and we ought to be salt of this world. See, one thing about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is that it can be impacting, right? It can have an impact, and it has had an impact on people in all times, in all history. This is not just verses that work for us. This verse has been used and read and studied many years. You can say about well, you're more than 2,000 years. We've been looking at those verses. This verse has impacted many people. And yes, Jesus it's saying that this, this message, this idea, this, this, this thing he's talking about being salt and light, this needs to be engraved in the hearts of every single believer. Jesus has had a time where this part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has had a, a more of a bigger impact, right? Whether it's because, you know, they're, they're, they have this shortcoming where, where they're just lacking and they're not being salt and, salt and light, right? Maybe that's that's the time in, in the past that, that you know the churches have had to come together and read this and and be like, okay, guys, look at what Jesus is calling us to do. Are we being salt and light? Right? Maybe that's the case. Maybe it's been case where where we just you know has had this one period in time where we just have to stop and analyze ourselves. Have I been salt and light? Maybe that's been the case. But throughout all history, throughout all generations, we've had a time where these sermons have been very applicable. And I believe as for our generation, I don't think there has been a better time than this to talk about what Jesus is calling us to do. Or in this case, uh, and where we are in church in general, as a whole church. It sure feels like the church is coming up a little short. At least to me it does. Just this year alone, everything that's been happening, all the division, all the disagreements, it's not just out there. It's in this church. Especially last couple of months with the elections and still after the elections, it don't stop. It doesn't stop. Whatever it is, all of a sudden, it's one thing or another, but there's this constant argument and, 
and in constant battle that doesn't just go outside, it's inside the church. And even though the world is coming up short as well, I'm, I'm calling out the believers. And this is Jesus calling out the believers. And he's calling out the believers specific because this is not a calling that everyone can. This is not a calling for those who don't believe in Christ. This is a calling for those who say they're disciples of Christ and truly believe. This is a calling for those. Jesus is asking of this specifically of his disciples. And of course, we know that in this sermon there's tons of other people that are not his disciples listening. And good. Because that way there's an expectation. Somebody has to set us straight and be like, hey, you guys are not acting very Christian-wise, huh? But at the same time, so you can know that this is an expectation of those who are in the kingdom of God. We see how many who call themselves Christians have taken the recent events as, as reason to maybe even lash out, you know, get into destructive arguments, you know, destroy each other, put each other down. And these are, and, 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 and I'm talking about just the church. I'm no longer talking about the world. I'm talking about within the church. We've taken this whole precedent and we're spending so much of our time in things that have no ultimate e eternal effects. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about politics or we shouldn't talk about the issues that are at hand, the issues that are happening out there. Of course, let's talk politics. Let's talk issues. Let's talk those things that are happening. We have to talk about them because if we don't talk about them, we're going to be ignorant to what's happening and therefore we don't know what to do. Right? If you don't talk about your problems, we don't know how to fix them. Right? So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying let's you know, make them disappear and not talk about them. But we're spending so much more time having these arguments than we are actually doing something about it. We're just arguing, 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 and all we do is argue and we talk and argue. And, and at what point do we say, okay, let's stop arguing and fighting, but here, let me do something about the situation that we're in. And in the midst of all that arguing and fighting, we forget that Jesus is telling us, that our attitudes may start, that our attitudes may start in us. Just who you are it doesn't stay there. It has to come outwards. There's no expectation ever set on Christ. It says, first, He says, "Hey, look, it's not your works, it's not your deeds that saves you. Right? It's He who saves you first before you do anything. But because He saves you, your deeds are going to show that you're saved. It comes from inside out. It just doesn't stay locked inside." So let's take a look. Let's, let's look at that exactly. Right? We're, we're talking about Jesus calling us for us. He's calling for us to be salt and light. What exactly does that mean, to be salt and light? I think if, if Christ is calling me to do something, I want to know exactly what, what he's talking about, right? I don't want to misunderstand or, or do the wrong thing and then be like, well, man, all this time I thought it was to do this, but no, it's not. Right? So let's take a look. Right? To be salt. Look at Matthew's chapter 5, verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. Right? He's making that statement. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall the salt hide when, when it gets to the bottom of the salt? That's the way I think is 
it's an old saw. They, they add a little bit of old saw and then good saw. Because every time you go to the bottom of the saw, man, that stuff don't make taste like nothing. But once that salt loses its saltiness, it means nothing. You can't get it back. It's no longer good for anything. It's said to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So you know salt, I don't know if you know, salt is a very interesting mineral. Salt is it's not only to season your steak so it can taste good, right? Or, or, or your food so it can taste better in general, right? I can't eat broccoli if you don't put salt on it. I will not eat a single broccoli unless it has salt. And steak, I know some people say, well, if the steak is good, you don't need to season it. Yeah, I get it, but again, a little salt won't go too bad, right? I still put some salt on there. With my wife, you put a lot of salt on there because she loves the salt on her steak. So this is not just to season your food. And I know uh, and nowadays since this salt is very abundant, you can go to the store and pick it up for less than a dollar uh, anywhere of, of the salt, right? Because we can just grab it from the, from the store and just buy it. It's no big deal, right? So I think because of the lack of understanding of, of, of really seeing how, how important and how awesome salt is really is you know because we lost that understanding because it's so easy for us to get we 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 look at what jesus is saying and we kind of brush it off like something just like yeah you know, no big deal right we see oh he's talking about salt salt makes taste good fine i'll um, i'll do something nice for people that way their life tastes good or something right but in reality salt it's something that's that's very important whether you see it or not because there's a reason why Jesus uses salt symbolically here. He's not literally saying that you're going to have to be salt and all of a sudden turn ourselves into salt and sprinkle ourselves in the world or something like that. Or when we die or ashes or something. No, he's not talking about any of that. He's using this as symbolic, right? But there's a reason why he's using salt and he's using light. Specifically, if he's using salt, when we look at the culture that Jesus uh, was living in, salt was useful and a valuable mineral. Not like us, we could just get it. Ah, oh, it's okay, let's put it on our steak. No, this was very... The Middle East has a very hot desert type of climate. So there wasn't freezers back in the days. So imagine trying to preserve a good piece of steak back in the days when Jesus was here. You can't. You couldn't. It wasn't cold enough. Maybe if you live in Colorado where it gets super cold... You leave the steak outside like some of the shows that the Count and I watches where they're living out there and they just hung the steak and the steak froze because it's so cold so that you don't need a freezer. But there was no freezer and it was hot. So it was the, they needed a way to preserve food and that's where salt came in. The salt was a way of, of keeping meat from spoiling. And, and even now, salt is still the best way to preserve meat. I've been looking and reading a lot of how to preserve food for long periods of time because of all this quarantine. I'm kind of sick of it. So I hate going to Publix because there's so many people going crazy. So how do you preserve food? And every single process of preserving food has tons of salt in it. Salt back in those days to, to disinfect wounds. It wasn't to prevent infections, but once, once you had an infection or, or, or might get an infection, that you saw to disinfect now you you think about it right we're in uh 2020 where there's a pandemic and i can't find a clark's wipe anywhere to disinfect my countertop but i, 
I could get a dollar bottle of salt and mix it with a little water and disinfect, right? I'm not, I'm not sure if that's even the right way of doing it, but you would think, right? We're fighting for alcohol during the pandemic, right? And I remember now I can't, but in the beginning, I couldn't find a bottle of alcohol anywhere. I was like, we need a bottle of alcohol because if I get a cut, how am I going to disinfect this, right? We're freaking out, but here we go, salt. Salt has a lifespan of almost forever. If you keep it in the right environment, salt will last you a long, long time. And you notice if you go to look at the salt, look at the expiration date. Very, very, very forward in the future. But if you keep it salt, I read that to get salt back in those days, they have to, they would pour seawater into into a, a, what's it called, into like pits, and then they would let the water evaporate, and when the water evaporated, they had salt. Anybody had to do that lately? No, yeah, of course not. So you see, it was, it was a process. Salt wasn't just there in the shopping center for them. Salt was very important because they used it for a lot, and it was hard to get. It was expensive, and it was, it's, it's a pure mineral. They say that even Roman soldiers were sometimes paid with salt. You see how important salt was. That's why Jesus used salt as a symbol. And of course, if we don't understand that, we just, yeah, whatever, salt. Yeah, who cares? Salt. I can get it at the store. It's pure. It was preserving and it was valuable. You can see that in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. We see that. Salt being used as part of a covenant in Numbers 18, verse 19. It was used as a symbol of how God wanted His people to be preserved in this world. We see that throughout the Bible. Now we look at New Testament, and it wasn't any different. As you can see, Jesus lets them know that the disciples are like, they need to be like salt because they are precious. We are precious. The disciples, we are precious. You're a disciple of Christ, of course. And I'm not saying that if you're not, you're not precious. Everyone in this world is precious. Everyone in this world is valuable, right? We all were created from God. Therefore, we have value just that alone. But the life of a believer was bought with a price. He said, well, salvation is free. You don't have to pay for a disciple. As a believer, is precious. It's worth more than life itself. There's nothing more precious than what we have to offer. We now have something that's precious that the world needs. Who has it? We do. We have it. The work and the task that you have been called for as a believer will not only affect us currently right here, but it's going to affect the afterlife. You have and you know of a Savior that has promised eternal life. You know it. You have it. You have that eternal life. That is precious. There's many that don't have it. 
you have it. You have the information. You have the knowledge. You have Christ. Those don't. You have that. That's why he's calling us to be salt. It's our job to show it to them. That's not all. The preserving influence in their culture. You know, we say we shouldn't allow culture to influence us. We should influence culture. And there's a reason why so many bad things are happening in culture is that because we keep removing ourselves away from it and trying to create a division where it's Christians and then there's cultures, two different things. No. If we've been influencing culture, there's going to be a lot less criminal activities, a lot less violence, a lot less death. And even in a world where, where everyone wants to paint different ideas, bringing different gods, right? Anyone can believe in any god as long as you believe in God. There's many different ways of God appearing himself to many different people in the world. You know, and they, they start passing that moral judgment as good moral, right? Oh, then one day, many years ago, one thing was bad. Nowadays, it's good. It's like, wait a second. Who votes the most? That's who sets the good morals. Right? Majority wins, right? Yeah, no, that's not the case. Even when the world is so rebellious that it says that everyone's truth is their truth. That's the truth, Right? But if I say, no, it's not, then we have a problem. Because if it's my truth, it's truth. That's my truth. Therefore, yours is false. So pick one. Right? Contradictory. Even when a world wants to contradict itself on what is true or not, it even fails at that. You know, even when all this is happening, the world eventually is going to have to face reality. And guess what? We already have reality. We know what's truth. We know where truth comes from. We know how it got here. And there's nothing that can prevent that truth from being truth. It's set in stone. It's not going to go anywhere. That's why we're called to preserve the truth of God's word. We're called to continue to bring the garbage gospels. And that's why I just call them because there's so many that I just don't want to label them. They're just garbage. Right? It is our job to keep the truth. We can't just all of a sudden be like, oh, you know, their church has 500 members because they're preaching this garbage. Uh, kind of like my church full. I don't like to see this, all these pulpits empty, of course. I can do that. I can start preaching that garbage. I bet you I can fill it up. But I don't. Preach exactly what he's saying. So that's what we're called for against all odds. Disciples are like salt because they add flavor. The world should be more pleasant because we are here. It should be because we are here, because we bring something that the world cannot bring. What hope is there? There's no hope. Die nothing. What are you living for if nothing is coming after this? There's no hope. They don't find hope. But we have hope. They need to see that hope that we have. We are called to show that, to bring that hope. 
Not only that, people should feel comfortable approaching us to talk to us. And we are called to love our neighbor, pray for our enemies. Pray for your enemies. I mean, that's tough. You look at other religions, and they talk about killing those who reject you. But we're called to love our neighbors and pray for our enemies. So people should be able to comfortably come up to us and talk to us and not feel like we're either going to reject them or bash them over the head because they voted for one president or the other. They shouldn't need to feel that. presidential win or whatever what makes you think that people are going to walk up to you and talk to you about God they already have a hard time enough as it is knowing that you know you're going to talk to them about God and they don't want to really hear it can you imagine if they know that okay not only is he going to talk to me about God he's going to beat me up because I voted for this way no Are we doing what God has called the church to do? We all know that government has its job and we have ours. Are we doing ours? And if we are doing ours, people's lives should be impacted. And I'm not saying everyone's life because we know not everyone. Actually, the majority won't be impacted. But there are going to be people who are going to be impacted. Let me tell you, I'm not all for numbers. I'm not a big numbers guy. I don't care if I have 200 people in here or 10. I don't care. As long as you're spiritually growing, I don't care. But if we're, because we're reaching out to those around us, and eventually you're going to be like, hey, let me go to your family because, you know, my family's rejected me. And we're all not rejecting each other. So they're going to want to join us, right? It makes sense to me, right? This is very important because the moment we lose who we are, we become worthless. If we are not salty, just put us in the trash. And there's too many of us losing our flavor. Sometimes not even our own fault, right? With all these false prophets, all these false prophecies, all this craziness coming out of the church lately. Making themselves look like fools and the process making us look like fools. You know, people lose respect for, for people like that. You look at none. And then sometimes it's our own doing, right? Because we remove Christ from certain parts in our life. We go, no, 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 no. Christ, Christ, no, no. Ah, he doesn't need to be there. I got it. Yeah, my finances. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, God. Well, no, not unless I got to give. No, no. Right? Sometimes it's even our own fault. And if we're no longer good for anything, what is the point? Except, of course, to be trampled and thrown out. So then Jesus says, be the light. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 14. So what does Jesus mean by being the light? 
This is not only a compliment, but also responsibility. To be called light is something to be proud of. This is like a boss telling you, man, we couldn't have done it without you. That feels good, right? My boss tells me, hey, man, you know, we could have never. He told me that the other day. I was like, Angel, you do such a good job with that schedule. Man, we couldn't have done this without you. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a piece of paper. But, man, that was, I was proud. I felt good, right? But at the same time, it's a big responsibility. You know, like uh, Ben Parker from Spider-Man says, with great power comes great responsibility. Right? Yeah, I know I quoted the comic book. That's all right. Still, still true. Understand? He's saying, you, you, you are the light of this world. You are the light of this world. You are. And if you don't understand that, how this is the same thing Jesus called himself. John 8, chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will walk in light of life. He's calling you the same thing he called himself. And I'm not saying you're God. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You're not a little God like it's going around. You're not a little God. You're not going to be a God. This doesn't mean that. This means that we're not only light receivers, but we're also light givers. God is calling us to be vessels of light, of the light that He is. He's calling us. He's giving us this privilege to be that light. If you notice, Jesus is not even giving us a challenge here. He's not saying, hey, try. I want you to try to be a light of this world. Even challenging us. He said that we are the light. And he's speaking to his disciples. You are the light. So if you're a disciple, either you are light or you're not. It is our responsibility, given by Christ himself, to light up the world. And if you're light, it is impossible for darkness to stay, right? You never turned on a flashlight in a dark room and still stay dark unless the flashlight didn't have any light, right, or battery. Every single time, 100% of the time, when you're in a dark room, you turn on the smallest candle, 100% of the time, there's going to be light. And the darker the room is, the more you see that light, the more our light will shine. So God didn't create us to be secret Christians, right? With awesome, you know, uh, callings and, and virtues. No, he didn't call us to be secret. We're not running a secret organization here. It's not underground or anything. We don't need to be hiding. We're not called to hide our lights under the mattress where no one can see it. This light is intended to be 
seen in every part of our life that God has given us. Whether it's at work, if you're at work, you better be that light. If you're at home, oh yeah, it starts there. If you're not light at home, you ain't going to be light at work. Whether it's a church, if you're not being light here. Whether you're walking down the street, you better be the light. I know, and you all know that I'm not talking about literal, right? But light, it's was exposing. It's exposing things. So what exactly are we exposing and how do we do this? If we're the light which exposes, we're exposing darkness. What is Darkness. What is the darkness that's in this world that we need to expose? That's the true broken nature of human. We need to expose our rebellion against God. Even if it's with us, ourselves, and the world, we are exposing these rebellions. We're exposing that we are broken and we're exposing that we're sinful. That's what we need to expose with the light. That's where everything starts. So you don't see how sinful you are and how broken you are. You got nothing. And then we expose the truth of Christ. And we expose what He already did for us. You know, Christ, everything He claimed and how He proved it by resurrecting. That's what we're showing this world. This world can give you hundreds of many different reasons, but they yet have proven that Christ didn't come back to life. They couldn't do it when that happened. So what makes you think they're going to do it many years later? We have the truth. We expose the truth. Once we expose our brokenness, we expose the truth that God, Christ, is the one that, that, that heals us back and puts us back together with Him. That's the truth, that He makes us perfect. We expose what is to come, judgment, eternal condemnation for those who don't believe. That's the truth. We expose it. We can hide it all day long. But that's the truth. Just because we don't want to talk about it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean that one day you're not going to be. But at the same time, we expose eternal life in heaven. For those who believe, if you come to Christ, the truth is, that you will live eternally with Christ in heaven. We expose the truth that we are promised a perfect body forever. We're exposing the truth, the gospel, that we are broken and He was the one that fixed us. That's the truth that we are exposing. We are the light because we have the truth. And the way we can expose the truth is not with our own personal knowledge or belief. You know, like our brother Doug mentioned last week, we, our testimony is not what brings people to Christ. To draw to Christ, right? We have different experiences that can lead us to different conclusions about different circumstances. 
You know, the way I deal how to, you know, the way I've managed to deal with my misbehaving kids is different than somebody else's. May not always work the same. We can have the same process, have different two different outcomes. Or we can use the same different process and have the same outcome. We know that. We get it. I get it. But what brings someone to Christ is not what you're saying is the word of God itself. Your testimony is good. It's awesome. But you wouldn't be a, that wouldn't be a testimony if Christ did not change you with his word first. So if you want to bring your testimony to somebody, you have to understand that that's a testimony because of what Christ did with you. The word is the lamp to my feet and the light of and the light to my path. That's the light. His word. We as followers live and breathe the word of God. And I'm not talking about a book. Let me tell you, this is a book. This is a book. I can tear these pages up, burn it. The words are not God. Those God's words live forever. These are just words. This is what changes your words, not the book. I can read it on my phone. So that's the same exact thing. The words. It is our hope and a promise. It is what guides us in the good and in the bad. It is what teaches us, rebukes us. It is what corrects us. It is what trains us in righteousness. The word is alive and it has power. The same words that light up our life is the same words the light up the world. To be that light, we ought to be that light. And of course, when you have been salt and when you're being light, all those good deeds, all those good things are going to be seen because it's coming from Christ. Not because you recorded and posted it on Facebook. Your good deeds are going to be seen because it comes from Christ. Because you're living the way Christ has asked you to live, being salt and light. In the time that we're living today, the world's looking for truth. They're looking for light. They're looking for a guide. And let me tell you, I was reading an article. There's In Japan, there's more suicide now in one month and it has been all year from coronavirus, death from suicide, and death from coronavirus. Because we're looking for hope. We're looking for a guy. We're looking for a light, and we're not finding it. You say, well, what's the purpose, right? What's the point? Well, if Jesus is the light, right? He said he was the light. He said he's God. Couldn't I just do it himself, right? He's perfect. I'm sure that he does it once, he does it right. He doesn't have to ask somebody who's unperfect to do it. Of course he can. And he did. He did it in Christ. When Christ was here, he was the light. He was a perfect light. But now he's calling us to be salt and light. And there's a purpose for that. But we have to understand that the purpose of all this is not for our own satisfaction or pleasure. He's not calling you to be a salt and light so you can feel good about yourself. 
Jordan, oh, I was salt today. Yes, I feel good. I was the light. All right. Had a good day. It's not. It's not to lift yourself. It's not to boast. It's not to win a competition. Who did the most good things? Deeds and loving affections. God is glorified. That's why. That's why we are the light. That's why we're the salt. That's why we do good things. That's where all our deeds go. Notice, right? Because it's going to glorify God. I'm just going to finish with this. Look, I'm not saying we're, we're, we have this problem here in this church where, where we're not being salt and light. I'm not saying this. I'm not bringing this because I think we have a problem. I'm not. I'm bringing this because this is what God brought us today because I'm going in order. That's why I like to go in order. That way it doesn't say, oh, I'm just trying to do something. No. I mean, I know many who are actually using this time to be salt and light. Even more. There are not, unfortunately. And that's kind of what worries me. Not necessarily for the visible church. I'm not worried about the church. We all know the church is going to be just fine. All right? Scripture tells us we got victory. Don't worry. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about what's going on. It's going to happen. Whatever's going to happen. But I'm worried because all we all know that we have a promise. And we all know that this is what God is saying. My worry is because of your soul and your spirit. Because this is a calling that God has called us. While we're here in this world. This is what he's calling us for. And it is not possible to be changed by Christ. And not be the salt and light. At least the way Christ is referring to. It is not possible to be changed by Christ. And not be the salt and light. So what does that mean? That's what's scary. That I can look out and see many who call themselves Christ followers, disciples, Christians. And doing absolutely nothing for the kingdom. They're just either sitting in, in, in church. Or not even showing up to church. And they're just staying home and saying, hey, I'm, I'm okay. I can be Christ follower texting everybody all day long. No, we, we need affection. We need to gather. We need to do this right. Right? I'm not saying there's something wrong with staying at home, okay? Don't take me out of context. But it's scary because many call themselves Christians but are not doing nothing. They are doing absolutely nothing. Those who are called the light suckers. They just suck the life out of the church. They do nothing for the kingdom of God, but they suck the life out of it. Sorry, I know that was kind of tough, but. Understand that God could have put us in any, in any time in history. My wife always wishes she goes go back to those days where they wear that big, beautiful dresses with putting the bottom this big. She wished she was born in that time. We could have been. I wish I was born in the future when cars fly. 
Sure. We would have never met each other, right? <laughs> Two different timelines. But if you are truly a Christ follower, you, are, you have been called for a time like this, like right now. This is where God wanted you. This is what he's calling you for this time. Every one of us have been called to be salt and light. It's not going to be any good. The world is in darkness, clearly. It needs a light. But if our Christianity is imitating that same darkness, we have nothing to show the world. We're just the same. Let's just go home. You're never going to make an impact on this world for the sake of Christ unless you're being the salt and the light that this world needs. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Mm -hmm.